Good morning, Bruce. Yes, Greg, how are you, mate? I, I, I'm fine, Bruce. I'm fine. How are you? Yeah, no, all, all going well, mate. All, everything's good. Oh, that's good. Pleased to hear it. Welcome to The Last Post magazine, Bruce, and thanks for your time. No worries, mate. Bruce, look, I, I guess I first saw you on television in 1980 in Adelaide. You're an Adelaide product, and... Um, You've come such a long way in that time. Life moves on and it's evolved beautifully for you. What led you to first becoming interested in becoming a sports commentator and, and race caller? Uh, it happened really early for me, Greg. So right from basically the time I can remember, I, mum and dad were into the horses and I would listen to uh, the commentators and particularly a bloke called Bill Collins in Melbourne and I'd, I'd hear these calls of the big Melbourne races and... There was a, you know, there was a, a very different feeling about racing in those days because you were listening to it on a radio and you rarely saw the vision and those words were incredibly descriptive and you know your imagination would run wild and he had a beautiful voice and a great rhythm and I thought to myself, gee, I want to be just like him and that was at a very young age of about five and I thought, gee, I want to call the Melbourne Cup. So mm. for me, it was sort of a, it was a, a dream from a very very young age and it really got going because my parents. Had the radio on on a Saturday. It was about the only day racing was going in those days, and uh, I would listen as a young kid, and um, it sort of turned me on, so to speak. So that, that's really where it started for me. Isn't it interesting, Bruce? A lot of children have dreams as young kids about what they want to be and grow up to be, but you made it a reality. Yeah, look, and I, you know, there's that old cliche, you know, live your dream and all that stuff. And the truth is, Greg, for a lot of my early years, that reality was probably. Uh, fanciful because you know I went off to school and loved my sport and played a fair bit and did all that and it was you know through my teens I probably that dream was very much in the background it wasn't to the foreground like it was as a kid and then uh through my interest in racing and harness racing and horse racing uh, a few things happened and suddenly I went from working in the public service to working on radio so uh, yeah look I'm lucky I've lived the dream but um for a fair bit of that youthful part of me, I wasn't, I wasn't going to, didn't think I'd be fulfilling it. Yes. Is it true, Bruce, that you took a day off work or, or school and, and you went to Kilmore and met Keith Hillier? Yes, what happened there, um, it wasn't, it's not the Keith Hillier that I'm very friendly with now, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, that, that story's just nearly 100%. So I was working in the, in the public service, so I was working in um, uh, the... Um, in telecom and uh, on a Monday, it was Kilmore Cup day and I, I took the day off to go over, I'd done this a couple of times and the man's name was Kevin Hillier, he's a oh, friend right. of mine in Adelaide. Oh, right. And he was a, so Kevin was a, um, a guy that had his own small business but he was a, an astute punter, uh, had a, a great judge but he also used to call the trotting trials and I'd got to know him through betting and just my interest in harness racing and we sat alongside each other we, we, we went together for that meeting and uh, mm. on them at the meeting for some reason uh, I, I told him you know I always wanted to be a caller mm. and he said well come out and give me a hand with the trotting trials um, and I said oh gee <laughs> and he said come on and anyway we went to Kilmore um, came home and he continually saw me on a Saturday night or Tuesday night at the trots and he said now I haven't forgotten why don't you come out and give me a hand and I reckon about six months later I got the courage up. So I'd go out on a Sunday morning at Globe Derby Park, which is the principal trotting track here, and uh, and call the trial, one or two trials with him. And, you know, the drivers didn't have any colour, so they were in overalls and that. So that was a really good way of starting. And then 
also on a Wednesday night. So, and then uh, I'll, I'll sort of cut to the chase for you. So after about three to six months of doing that, Oakbank came up and um, one of the regular callers, it was either Ron Paps or Ray Fewings, was on leave mm. and they asked Kevin to fill in for the bit behind the behind the, the hill where no no film in those days, so the main caller couldn't see that and they always crossed to the other caller. And Kevin said, look, why don't you give young Bruce a, a, a go? So uh, I did an audition for them at the Gawler Trots, which was quite comical when I think back of it, because I stood in the crowd alongside Merv Thomas, who was the head of sport, and he put a, a tape recorder up to my face, and I called in front of a big mob, and it was pretty pretty hard work. But anyway, I ended up going along to Oakbank and did that bit behind the hill. Barry Hall, who was a well-known person in South Australia um, in, in in the music world, was my sort of... He, he was my chaperone, looked after me, and, um, and that was the first time I called. So that was... Um, Oakbank, I'd, I'd called the Mindry Halliton Cup in 1976 with Kevin. Mm. Uh, that was not on radio, and that was probably in September 1976. And I reckon, I reckon it was Oakbank 1977 was the first time I was heard on radio. So, and from that point, um, the radio station said, "Look, Bruce, we'd like to keep you involved," and they got me to call one race on a Tuesday night, either a Gore or a Kapunda, and I reckon one race on a Saturday night blow derby, uh, I think I was getting about $40 a week or something for doing it, and um, um, and one thing led to another. So that, that's how I got started. It's incredible, Bruce. And through that journey, um, people like you so much, you've become part of folklore. Well, I've been around for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and They've either, they've, they've only, there's two things that have happened, Greg, and I'm, I'm a realist. They've either liked me for a long time or they've disliked me for a long time. And, and, and I think there's a bit of both. But the truth is, I am who I am, and you can only please yourself in the end, and that's what I'm trying to do. Oh, Bruce. Well, you know, if they say that being an individual is, is sexiness, well, you're very sexy to the Australian public, I think. That, that's, that's amazing. And um, words that emanate from you, like, such as special and everything like that, has become part of the language of sport and uh, and a lot of people admire you before that so that's a great individualism um yeah look i i suppose what has happened recently we we all know what happened on saturday what were your feelings and takings on first of all winks and the great um part of history that winks now is look it meant a lot to me greg to be honest um, i sort of lived her stories for a fair while i love racing it's something that I'm quite emotional about it, and uh, it, it's a funny thing, it's hard to describe, but mm. it's, always, it's always part of my fabric, and because of, and I go back to my parents, but I've always felt like um, racing's been a, a major part of this country, and it's history, and the horses played a big role in Australia, and all those things, and all those things, I guess, add up in a small way, and they collectively become a big thing, but, so with Winks, um, it's been an ongoing, obviously, sort of journey which has got larger and larger with more and more people becoming interested or involved and you know I've been a part of that and uh, I've uh, grown to love her in a way that you love a racehorse and I felt very attached to her and you get to know the connections and you get to know a lot about her so mm. on Saturday it was quite a surreal feeling I, I had there was two things there was one me the person and then me the professional and um, professional is number one on days like that, and the person is number two. And uh, it was a, a very rich day. It, it felt mm, very deep. Mm, mm. It felt very um, 
mystical, uh, spiritual in a non-religious way. Yep. Um, and the whole day was like a bit of a wave, a beautiful wave, and uh, which we were, you know, to, to use the metaphor that we were sort of all catching and uh, all on the same wave, and you felt a collective, a collective um, uh, quest, a, a collective um, ambition, mm. a, a collective sentiment um, from those people that were at the track and really from a nation. So it's one of those rare occasions where you felt like racing had not only transcended racing, but it had transcended sport. Mm, and, I, mm. and in my my broadcasting lifetime, that's only happened, I think, once before, and that was Maccabi Diva's third Melbourne Cup. Mm. Even Winx's fourth Cox Plate was probably very close to it, and Black Caviar became a phenomenon. Mm. But I, I felt like, uh, I do believe, sincerely, that this was above and beyond anything I'd ever seen in the sport. Uh, I believe it was the single most important day in the sport. I, I don't know if it's I think the 33 consecutive wins and the 25 group ones are arguably the, collectively the most impressive thing I've seen in the sport. But, you know, Maccabi Diva's three Melbourne Cups in a row, I think, is, is the, the, the gobsmacker. How can you do that? But mm. the Winks is 33s on the line. So never been to a better day in terms of racing. Don't feel like racing's ever had a larger stage to present itself on. And um, I came away from the meeting um, in a bit of a beautiful, dreamy, blur <laughs> yeah. I'd, take, I'd taken a drug that was, <laughs> that was very good for me yes um and, and and one that will have some residual good feelings with me for the rest of my life so it's probably the best way i can describe it to be true mm. that, that, that's off the top of my head but yeah. it was just a and i think for everybody i mean this is one of the things and i am sincere about this i mean i'm i've uh, yeah, obviously being an enthusiast when it comes to Winx, but mm. I'm one of hundreds of thousands that share the same affection for her. And I've loved that bit as much as anything that uh, I'm one of the masses. And, you know, I've, I've, I guess in one way I've been a little bit fortunate in that because I'm on television and I'm a host, um, I've copped a bit of... Uh, notoriety for being a big fan. Now I've lapped that up. I'm not silly. I've enjoyed that mm. because it's sincere. But one of the things I've got great pleasure out of is that uh, I'm one of uh, many hundreds of thousands that have enjoyed the same experience. Mm. Yeah, true enough. True enough, Bruce. And I guess if if parts of one's life is like a movie or a dream, when Winks came around the corner there and was showing signs of doing what she'd done so many times before, the crowd noise was quite like a chorus. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was. And look, at that whole 15 minutes, uh, by the time they got into the mounting yard, and people had sat in that mounting yard for hours so that they wouldn't miss her, and they'd miss three or four races in doing so. They could see it on a big screen, and they were big races they were missing. And mm. anyway, they... Um, that sort of 15 minutes of her coming into the mounting yard and, and the other horse, you know, it's a great field to be honest, but it was all about one horse and mm. through that tunnel out onto the track and then just that whole anticipation behind the barrier and then into the barrier and then uh, then away they go. And as you say, when she loomed up on the home turn and <laughs> it felt to the inevitable what we were about to witness yep. and that incredible roar and as you said, that sort of almost anthem that 
yelled out and uh, yeah, and then when uh, Huey brought her back. So you know, there's 15 or 20 minutes of pure theatre. Yeah, great, 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 great sport. Yeah, um, it was camaraderie, yeah. a, a collective joy, uh, a nation feeling good about something that makes them feel even better. So yeah, I felt like we we're in the we we're in a bit of a a zone that a special you know, moment. Yeah, that that forever will be talked about, mm. uh, will be embellished. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> but but also it, it it's gonna be one of those things that uh, for those that weren't alive or those that weren't there, uh, they they're gonna get they're going to get bored, bored yeah. stiff from those that were talking to them about it. But look, I, the thing for me is that I lived a lot of my early life listening to people telling me about Bradman and Walter Lindrum and, yep. and, and Limwell and Miller and um, great footballers and Farlap and Peter Pan. And, uh, so, you know, we're living it yeah. now and seeing, seeing what has been the benchmark. Look, she, she's, I think the benchmark for the 21st century, mm. as far that was for the 20th. Yeah, well said. Um, and that crowd noise was music, um, absolute music, um, and I think the horse picked up on it. And will, will, will things be a letdown at the next race call for you, Bruce? It'll be different. Uh, I love the racing, so it's always different. Every time Winks has run, say, in the last uh, probably two and a half years, mm. it's, it's been a different feeling at the track. Uh, it's, it's sort of it's been an uncontrollable... Um, quickening of the pulse or heart, and, and, and you know, every I promise you, you know, certainly since about that second Cox Plate, mm. around that time or just before it, it's been a gee, something's different today. You just feel it in your body. Mm. Um, so I'm not going to get that feeling like I did. Um, but other horses have presented something similar. You know, Maccabi Diva and and Black Caviar, and so you're thinking that, but not like her. So mm. look, truthfully. Um, no, it won't be this, you know, mm. maybe for me I can describe it like this. In 2000 when the Olympics were in Sydney, it was always going to be the highlight of anyone's broadcasting career mm. and I was along with many other Australians to call an Olympics in your own country. Now I had that absolute joy and I also had the luck that I was the person that called the Captain Freeman race. So I, I, I knew basically before that race and after that race that, um, I'd probably never have another calling moment like it. No. But it hasn't diminished or, or, or detracted from anything I've done since. I've actually had so much pleasure over the last 19 years since then. And in many ways, I feel like I'm a, you know, I've improved. But I, um, I think it'll be the same with Winks. You know, I'm, I'm much older now, obviously, and I'm getting closer to retirement than I was in 2000. But um, yes. Life will be different. It won't, I think, I don't think I'll ever experience another day like it at the races, mm -hmm. but I'll experience other great days, and this will always, I think, be, you know, the, the one that you'll always look back on when you've retired and say, if someone said, tell me the one day that you remember most of the horses, this will be the one. Yeah, yeah. If only um, it was something you were you were living for, and uh, without knowing it, I guess before uh, before Winks became famous, it, it was all every day was getting closer to this day that uh, is basically the zenith of your race calling career. But there will be other special moments and other beautiful things that happen too. So that's great. Um, it's hard to believe the Sydney Olympics is nineteen years ago, Bruce. That's incredible. Yeah, it's 
Yeah, it's gone quickly, hasn't it? And, and you know, well, two thousand, the year two thousand. Think about that. You Jeez. know, just the build up, build up to the twenty first century, the new millennium. We, uh, mm. and you know, I can remember a lot about that, and uh, still remember my wife and I going up to Sydney for New Year's that year, and thinking, you know, you sort of thought, wow, you know, you sort of got to a, a point. And yet here we are, 19 years on, mm. and a lot's happened in those 19 years. You know, I've lost my parents in that time. Uh, a lot of things have happened in that time, you know, privately and professionally for all of us. Mm. Um, and, yeah, yeah, it's, it's remarkable. But that is, you know, unfortunately, or fortunately, I'm not sure which one, the older you get, the quicker it seems to go. Now, yeah. <laughs> I, know, I, I know that there's 24 hours in every day and there's 365 days in three of the four years, but... Uh, it does feel like it goes a bit quicker than it used to, but um, yeah, no. Where, where does that go? But you know, yeah, I think back to maybe between uh, Freeman and uh, and Winks, and uh, there's been a a lot of great sporting moments, a lot of wonderful personal uh, joy, um, and uh, uh, yeah. So both our children, you know, growing up, they were young when yeah. in 2000. So all those things happened, Greg. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And as you say, you don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing with the time seemingly speeding up, but I think it's all to do with ratio and percentages of your life that you live when you're 10 years old, a year is a tenth of your life, etc., etc., but not as you grow older. So I've, I've searched for ways to slow it down myself, Bruce, yet to discover what it is. Well, I think we're, work, we're all working. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 my, my father retired... In 1984, at uh, 59, and that mm. was about normal. Now he had a good job. He was a uh, he worked hard. And he he loved his work, mm. but he retired at 59. And in those 80s, a lot of men and women, but mainly it was more than men, I guess, because women. Was, I mean, things thank God have changed. But mm. anyway, but a lot of men and women were retiring in their 50s. Everyone was retiring earlier. It was the way of the world, and yet here we are. Um, Sort of thirty years on from that, thirty-five years on from that, and we're all re- we're all working until we drop, basically. And now, part of that's, I think, we're healthier. Mm-hmm. You know, we're living we're living longer. Mm-hmm. So, for some people, they probably, in a financial sense, need to go on a bit further. But I think I think mentally, we're re- I think mentally for our health, we've realised that if you're occupied, you're better than being unoccupied. So, yeah, life's changed. We're, we're, we're all going on a bit longer than, at work than we used to. I mean. Yeah, it's 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 a strange phenomenon. Um, I I think of my father at my age, and he seemed so old, and yet I at sixty two don't consider myself old, and I guess I'm really not in the context of things. But but Dad seemed old at sixty when he died um, from an accident. But but yeah, I think things have changed, and we were part of that too, Bruce. I guess one of the changes is the um, the social media, the electronic uh, way that we communicate now, and I guess. Part of that is that your voice, and this is, I guess, spiritual too in a way, your voice will be heard forevermore um, out in space and wherever because the, your callings will be part of history. Uh, people will be listening to your voice in a couple of hundred years. I never thought about it. <laughs> there you go. Well, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's lovely. Um, and You live forever. Yeah, yeah well, I, as you say, though, but that, you know, that was part of the Winx thing that I, you know, a lot of comparisons were made and, and one of the reasons I was so, I guess, um, positive that we'd never seen a day like it was that, you know, fair worlds are few and far between. You very, very, very rarely know when somebody is hanging up the boots for the last time and 
terms of a major major grand final or whatever. But mm. um, with you know, and I look back at when Tullock retired, and he was probably the closest one I could think of. When Kingston Town and Maccabi Diva retired, when they actually ran those races, we didn't know they were going to do. And Black Caviar the same. But mm. when Tullock had his last run in 1961, there was no television live coverage, certainly no social media. There was no communication like we have today. And you know, that, that footage is available, but it's 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 a bit grainy and hard to get. Whereas with, and I was thinking about this with Winks, that you know, you know, when when my your grandkids or my grandkids are thinking, gee, I wonder what that horse is like. Everyone <laughs> raves about it. They just have to flick a button and they can have a look for themselves. So yeah, things have changed, and um, you're right. So yep, uh, all of that, and I guess you know, I'm being part of a the media um, uh, that um, some of these things that I've been involved in will. Uh, be able to be rebooted as the years go on. That's right. It'll be it'll be something that we never grow tired of, I'm sure. And when I say we, I mean those that come after us. But just uh, Bruce, Bruce, I, I, without putting you on the spot, could you n- name, in your view, uh, the the five best horses that have raced in Australia? I'll, 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 this is how I let me just preface it by saying this: it's extremely difficult when you haven't seen them all. But I, I, I'll tell you who I think the five most mm. significant horses are. So what happened um, uh, about 30 years ago, the Hall of Fame was introduced and they had five inductees. So you, you've, in a way, you've, we've always thought those were the five greats up until a certain time. So those five were in chronological order carbine mm-hmm. from, from basically the 18, 1889, 1890. Um, Farlap mm. from 29, 30, 31. Um, Burnborough from 46, uh, 47. Um, Tullock from 57 through to about 61. And then Kingston Town from about 79 through to about 83. So that, that were the five original inductees. And there was no argument with that. I think everyone thought they got it right. Mm. And I would have thought since then uh, we've had some extraordinary horses, but yeah. the ones that probably have been knocking on that door are Maccabi Diva, Black Caviar and Winks. Now, there are others, Mind Power and, uh, and, and Sunline and those, but Maccabi mm. Diva, I, I still believe the three Melbourne Cups is singularly as, almost as equal to, to Winks as 33, but mm. I don't think she, she gets in there because she, she was beaten 21 times in 36 races. Black Caviar... It's a, it's a narrow CV, but it's a 25 perfection. And then you've got... Mm-hmm. I, I would, what I would do, I'd leave Carbine, Farlat and Tullock in there. Yep. And I'd, I'd put Winks in there. And I would argue that Black Caviar probably deserves to go in front of Burnborough and Kingston Town. But I could get a very good argument about that. So I'll say to you, in my order, I'd go Winks 1, Farlat 2, Tullock 3, Carbine 4. And probably... It's a toss-up between Burnborough, Black Caviar and Kingston Town. But I, I look, for, 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 the, for the sake of it, I'll put Black Caviar in his file. Incredible, Bruce. Incredible list of horses. And the two that uh, missed out there, number six and seven, including Kingston Town, amazing horses too. But, yeah, there'll be a lot of arguments for, for that too, those horses. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it's, as you say, part of Australia's history. Part of your brief in the media also has to been a well-respected football commentator. When was your first grand fi- AFL grand final? Uh, 1990, I 
post it. It didn't call because it was, uh, I did bad. It was a funny situation. Mm. Uh, but not, I reckon I, the first one I covered for Channel 7 was 1990, and the first one I called was 1991. I reckon, I think that's, I may have called 1990, but I don't think I did. I think I hosted it, but uh, I was certainly involved in the 1990 telecast. Mm. Uh, but so 19. Say probably 1990 or 1991, either one, I'm not sure. And significant too, Bruce, because I think 1990 was the first AFL grand final. It was, um, exactly right. The Collingwood and Nesson, exactly. And 89, of course, was the famous one um, with uh, Geelong and, uh, and uh, Hawthorne and the... Um, and, you know, Ablett's nine goals and all the things that went on that day. So, uh, Well, I think Dipper yeah. Domenico and, and, and Brereton would have been taken off these days. They wouldn't have played with what their injuries... No, exactly right. No, it was, a, it was a brutal, brutal, incredible match. So, yeah, 1990, I sort of go back to. Because mm. I, I left Adelaide in um, the end of 89. Uh, sorry, the end of 83, but I went to Channel 10. Mm. And that was to do Olympics. And that's when I started to call the Melbourne Cups. And then I uh, left Channel 10 in 1989 to go back to Channel 7. Mm. Just quickly, Bruce, your, your favourite Olympics, uh, apart from Sydney, what would that be? Ah, now that, that's... So difficult because frankly they're all memorable, and I'm not just there's there's, there's extraordinary experiences. And Must you know, be. The, mm. the first one's always hard to beat. Now the first one I hosted was back in Australia was Moscow, so I don't even really count that. But the first one I went to was Los Angeles, and it was oh. every, every day was 90 degrees Fahrenheit. It was in this beautiful old Coliseum. Um, it was just extraordinary. It was all day. It was no night night. Uh, even the opening ceremony was in the daytime, so things have changed so much. But I just adored it, you know. And there was a boycott, I know, and all that. And, but you know, Carl Lewis won four gold medals, and Sebastian Coe won the fifteen hundred for the second time, and Glynis Nunn won, and Dean Luca won, and our cycling team won, and um, and we got one other. And I was trying to think of it. That's the right. We got four gold. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and it was just magic. And then, um, oh, John Seaver. And then, mm. uh, in, 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 but and then you know they've all. Seoul was amazing. Um, Barcelona was beautiful. Atlanta was a difficult city, but God, we saw some incredible things. Sydney was very special. Athens was loved. Beijing was out of this world. London I worked on, not for Australian television, but for the Olympic Broadcasting Unit and did swimming. Mm. And then uh, Rio was a very difficult place to be in, but again, you know, Usain Bolt. So to answer your question, and I don't want to... I don't want to sort of deflect. They've mm. all been remarkable in so many different ways. Mm. I'll, I'll tell you one thing, Greg. Mm. They're not easy. You know, I mean, this, people are going to say, oh, this is a first world problem. They, they, and it is mm. a first world problem. They're the most difficult things, I think, to do because they are 16 intense days of at least 16 to 18 hours a day. Mm. And, they are, and, and there's a long build-up and... It's always hot and it's difficult to, uh, in a sort of infrastructure way. So all I'm saying is it, it, it's a place where you can implode or you can thrive and a, it is a, a challenge. Each one of them is a great challenge. I've always felt that I've come home from all of them learning a lot, wishing I'd done certain things and feeling about five years older than I did by the time I was. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but, but, you know, the truth, you know, they've been a massive part of my broadcasting career, arguably the biggest part, mm, mm. Um, and, and they've probably given me 
as, as you know, the, I mean, the, the ultimate, uh, 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 absolute ultimate. Um, so what I said to you is in no way a, uh, a negativity, but it's a reality. It is a, it is a searching examination mm. of, of everybody, whether they be a volunteer, yeah. an athlete, a coach, an administrator, or a, a technician or a broadcaster. It is a great examination of, uh, of stamina yep. and of, of preparation and really of, 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 of a, a bit of temperament and character. So they're, they're good tests. Yeah, I, so I, haven't, I haven't answered your question because the truth is, um, look, the easy answer would be Sydney. Uh, if I was completely truthful with you, Sydney had its difficulties, but they are a little bit personal. And um, uh, But reflecting now, I think um, to be able to broadcast an Olympics in your home country is the highest honour you can have. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> just a quick note, I guess. Um, Los Angeles, 84. D- did that change the Olympics forever? That, to me, seems when the modern Olympics started in many ways. No, you're 100% right. Uh, absolutely, because um, the head of the organising committee was an entrepreneur called Peter Uberoff. He'd been involved in um, business and sports in America, and he was able to persuade the International Olympic Committee to allow some advertising, you know, McDonald's, Paul. That's and all right. That. So yeah. there was an opening up of so many things. Uh, Moscow put on a spectacular opening ceremony with Mishka and all that sort of stuff, but Hollywood came to town for the Los Angeles opening ceremony with mm. Rocket Man and the pianos, and it, it was definitely a sea change, and as you say, in many ways, they moved into the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been a revolution since then in terms of uh, production, TV production, in terms of um, night Olympics. The opening ceremony's gone to the night before um, rather than the, you know, the day. Mm. Um, new sports, we're going to see a massive change in those sports in Tokyo again. Um, it's been... They're, they're, it's like a new world. You know, if you went back to 1984 now... Yep. Uh, and compared it to what we're going to have in Tokyo in 2020, uh, you'd scratch your head. But that, part of that, of course, is the revolution in, uh, in um, communications and, and social media and how we present our, our, um, our, our sport to people now and our, our news to people now. And yes, indeed. <clears throat> Are you going to Tokyo? Yes, yeah, mm. yes. So seven, oh, good. Seven mm. have got the rights mm. to that. So I'll, I'm, you know, I've been working on that for a year or so slowly and now... Now, I'm a, from about tomorrow on, I've got a project uh, to... I know what I need to do and what I need to go to, so I'll be, I'll be spending at least part of every week working towards it. Yeah, I was, I was in Japan in February and March. It's a beautiful place, Bruce. It is, yeah. No, look, exactly. I've been there a few times myself. I've been there to an Olympics there, a Winter Olympics, and I've been to a um, couple of Japan Cups, um, and I've been to a World Athletics Championships, so I've been there uh, four times, I think, uh, certainly, uh, and uh, I was there last November, and uh, love mm. it, love it. Yeah, no, no, beautiful place, the Japanese gardens that you can find in the uh, off streets in Tokyo, just absolutely marvellous. Um, just briefly now, finally, Bruce, uh, AFL has been a big part of your career too, and um, the season's underway. It's been going now for a month, hard to believe, as we talk about getting older quicker. But um, 
Geelong lost for the first time on the weekend. Collingwood uh, now 2-2. West Coast Eagles look untouchable almost again. What's your feelings on this season? Look, uh, volatile. Um, Rollercoaster. Um, hard to pick a winner week to week. Impossible to know who's going to be around in September. Love it. I mean, this is what the AFL have wanted. And we've seen, you know, when the Western Bulldogs won that flag in 2016 and September it felt so different to the rest of the season. And mm. obviously Richmond's uh, sort of strong half in 2017 and then the Eagles last year. So well, everything you just said a moment ago about the Cats and Collingwood and the West Coast are sort of what we're feeling this week. But things change quickly. And I think it's a season where there's going to be a lot of uh, soul-searching for a lot of clubs mm. and a lot of them are just going to have to suck up a bad loss and get on with it. You know, both Adelaide teams are in that situation at the moment. Yes. With, you know, West Coast, you, you said, look, untouchable. Well, they were hammered um, uh, you know, in round one this season. So, um, And, uh, you know, as you said, to them at the start of round two, how are they going? So, look, mm. I, I'm feeling like uh, there's probably eight to ten teams that have got a realistic chance of playing in the grand final Yep. Uh, after four rounds and I would have thought I'd, I've never said that before in my working time in the NFL. So um, it's, a deep, it's a deep net, I reckon. Um, there's five or six teams down towards the bottom that are not going to play in the grand final for sure, but they've improved. Mm. Uh, and um, I would have thought we're in for about as interesting a season as we've had and we've had some beauties in the last two or three years.